<laughs> All right, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 7 this morning. Um, last week, as we announced, we've started an Advent series, um, an Advent. Um, it's a season of waiting and anticipation. Um, for Jesus Christ and I love Isaiah 9 it's one of those well-known passages that talks about the coming of the great light the child is born and so we're going to be looking at that and we're going to be looking specifically at the theme of hope at the theme of hope all right Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 through to 7 it says but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan galilee of the nations and so before we go on just to give you some context here zebulun naphtali um eventually became known as galilee but during those times those areas were really gloomy <laughs> and distressful and the reason behind the reason was whenever there was war and there was an army invading israel the areas of zebulun and naphtali were the areas that got hit not just the hardest but first um, they kind of was like the poor entrance to Israel. And so those areas got hit really hard. And what's basically going on here is that um, Isaiah is prophesying that these two regions, which are looked down upon, which are heavily hit by war, he's basically saying um, there will be an end to all of this um, and they will not suffer um invasions anymore and they will be restored and recovered all right verse two the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone you have multiplied the nations you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and, on, and, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, let's pray God. As we reflect on the names given to Jesus, may you strengthen our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope. Hope, hope, hope. Hope is 
and theme. Whoa. Give me one second. That was embarrassing. Hope um, is a theme that we're going to be focusing on um, today. And hope is very familiar to all of you. I am sure, um, you know, every single one of you at this particular moment in your life has something that you are hoping for. Okay? You are hoping for something. Um, beginning of the year, most of you know, my family and I had to leave America. Um, and after we left America, we were hoping that we would be able to come back to America. And thankfully, God was able to bring us back. And our hope of coming back became a reality. And so you're all hoping for something. Okay? Um, hope can be defined as the anticipation of a future that is better than the present. It's a state of anticipation we find ourselves in when we're waiting for what we want to become a reality. And so hope is a crucial virtue for human existence. It's also a really important concept in all of the Bible. In fact, there are a lot of words, if you were fluent in Hebrew, um, and Aramaic, which, um, you know, and Greek, which the Bible was written in, you would discover that there are a lot of words for hope. And in the biblical, and in biblical Hebrew, hope is all about waiting and expectation. If we're hoping, okay, then I guess that means we're waiting for something. So as Christians, the question we have to ask ourselves um, is what are we actually hoping and waiting for this Advent? If you read the Old Testament, one of the obvious themes you'll notice is Israel's rebellion. There were many periods in Israel's history where they rebelled against God and even though God remained faithful to them, they kept on being unfaithful and they kept on rebelling. They kept turning their backs on God by turning to idols. And as a result, what would happen is this, that God would judge them. And what did judgment look like? Judgment looked like this. It would come, it would often come in the form of foreign nations who would invade, who would conquer, and lead the people into exile. And guess what? This is actually the dark and distressing context in which Isaiah 9 is set. Okay, our passage for today is set in a time where the people of Israel have again rejected God. They've turned their backs on him and turned to idols. And because of this, they're facing dire consequences. And the very last verse of chapter 8, we're not going to go there. I'll just give you a summary of it. Basically, 
it's all about how the nation of Israel are deep in distress and they are overcome with fear because of eminent judgment. And we can relate, can't we, to this distressing and dark time they're going through. We're also very much living in distressing times at the moment, specifically because of COVID-19. Um, as you know, the pandemic has devastated families. It's devastated the economy. It's devastated the educational system. Um, it's devastated healthcare. Right this morning, we've woke up um, with stricter restrictions because of the um, negative impact of COVID-19. And as we remain under the cloud of this endless pandemic, the question is, where can we turn for hope? And I ask this question because many have lost hope. Um, yesterday, I met a friend of mine, and she is a therapist, right? She's a family therapist, I think works for one of the universities here. And she basically, I asked her, and I said, what's been the most challenging um, thing for you as you help provide therapy for your patients during this season? And without hesitating, she said, it's instilling hope in people. That's exactly what she said. And what she basically meant by that is many people are currently very hopeless. Very hopeless indeed. And I think hopelessness is actually a pandemic within the pandemic. And so who or where can we turn to for hope in these dark and distressing times? We know God is good. And because of this, we should believe that our good God did not intend Israel to perish in darkness, nor does he intend the same for us. Our passage this morning provides us with hope in these dark days, the hope that God will sustain us through these dark times and one day ultimately deliver us from this present darkness through what verse 2 describes as a great light. And this great light is exactly what we're hoping and waiting for this Advent. And so look at verse 2 again. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Right? There's so much hope in verse 2 already. It's saying people who are in darkness, the people who are hopeless, have seen a great light because this great light has appeared and this great light is what will bring hope. Now, what, what I want you to do is take a quick look at verse three, four, and five. Um, and I know when we read it and as you look, it's using a lot of figurative language, but those verses are all about what the presence of the great light will bring. Okay, we haven't got time to read it again, but in a nutshell, it's saying to us that the great light will bring joy for those who are grieving, verse 3, 
freedom for anyone oppressed, verse 4, and peacetime for war-torn territories, verse 5. And so that's the impact um, of the great light. And so the question, the next question we now have to ask is, who or what is this great light? If you look at verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Um, firstly, the great light is not this source of illumination, right? It's a person, it's a person who is born and given. Secondly, we're told that the government shall be upon his shoulder. You're like, what does that all mean? Let me help you with that. Now, it's not a reference to a burden that will weigh heavy on him. In Isaiah's day, in those times, kings and rulers, what they would do is that they would wear um, a symbol of authority on their shoulder in the form of like this golden chain. And what that signified was power and authority um, and so when it says the government shall be on his shoulder it's not saying about it's not talking about a burden he's going to bear it's basically saying that he's wearing this chain that signifies that he has power and authority all right next what you'll notice in this verse um, verse 6 is that it contains a list of names associated with this child um, let's continue to read. It says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These may be unusual names for a child, but they're really important. In our modern world, a name is not as important as it was back then. For us, um, a name is mostly a label that helps us identify someone. It's just a name and often it has no connection with the core personality of a person, okay? But in ancient times, names were very, very important. They revealed the essence of who a person was. And you've noticed this. For us in our modern world, we um, figure out the name, okay? of a baby before they're born. If you read the Old Testament, you'll realize that they gave, they named the child after the child was born. And you'll see those two differences there. In our modern day, we name kids after fruit and cars and cities and, you know, whatever is cool, you know? Um, but back then, Names were really important because um, they revealed the essence of who a person was. And now, what I want us to do is just look at the names um, given to this child to get an understanding of what they mean and what they tell us about him. Firstly, he's called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful in the Hebrew is used for things only God can do. Did you guys get that? All right. Wonderful in Hebrew, often used for things only God can do. So when this child is referred to as a wonderful counselor, this is what it's saying. It's saying that he will instruct with wisdom that only comes from God. Secondly, he's called Mighty God. 
One author describes this name as a hero who has the characteristics of God. The third name he's given is Everlasting Father. This means that he will care for his people with a father-like compassion and tenderness. He will provide, protect, and shepherd his people forever. And lastly, he's identified as the Prince of Peace. This is saying he's the prince who will bring an end to war and usher in an age of rest and peace. And so what's happening here is like a jigsaw puzzle. All the pieces are coming together. The true identity of this child is beginning to surface and become clear. And verse 7 is another valuable piece of the puzzle. Look at verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Again, there's a lot going on here, but to give us a better understanding of what all of this means in verse 7, okay, let me begin talking to you about the Queen of England. All right, Queen Elizabeth II. She's the current British monarch. And what most people don't know is that she is actually the longest reigning British monarch in history. What that means is that she's sat on the throne longer than any British queen or king. But the thing is, like all the kings and queens who came before her and who will come after her, she will not reign forever. She will pass away and someone, Prince Charles, maybe, someone else will take her place. She will pass away. She's not going to live forever. I'm all about the long live the queen all about that but i could never say forever live the queen but the interesting thing about this royal child and listen to this this is incredible being described here in verse seven he's just so unique it's basically saying that his reign will last forever He will be a king unlike any other human king because his reign will last forever. And so as we had a brief look through the names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, all of those, I'm sure you noticed this, but there was something really fascinating and really unique about all of those names. And what's striking about the names given to this royal child is that they reveal he's both human and divine put simply he's not only fully human but he's fully god 
Every one of those names points to this wonderful counselor. The idea of instructing with the kind of wisdom that only comes from God. Okay? Mighty God um, to act in power as God Almighty, everlasting Father, loving care for his people eternally, Prince of Peace. Like the idea that his reign will bring lasting peace and prosperity. All of these names point to the fact that he's unlike any other king before him or that will come after him. And the reason why is because he is divine. He's fully God. He's unlike any other king and queen that has lived. And so this begs the question, if this was written thousands of years ago, the question we have to ask is, has this king arrived? If we look back at the history of humanity, is there anyone that fits this description? According to Christianity, according to our belief, absolutely. There is a historical figure, a person in history who fits the bill. There is a person in history we can point to and say he is the great light, the forever reigning king who is both fully God and fully man being described here by Isaiah. And he's none other than Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And I know for most of you, this is not new like going to a Sunday school and every answer is Jesus uh, kids when a kid figures out that Jesus is like the perfect answer for every question in Sunday school they're all about it man and for us that is kind of the same isn't it where we get to a point where we're like yeah of course it's Jesus but just think about this Jesus, there is no question, no one can ever argue that Jesus was a living person, an actual person that lived. Even people that don't believe in him, are not Christians, would believe that historically, Jesus actually lived. And to think that he was not just a prophet he was not just this human being but he was also fully god it's it's just it blows my mind when i spend time to think about what this all means it's mind-blowing like jesus christ this person we love and serve and worship okay he was real but he was also God in human flesh. It's crazy. If we were to go back thousands of years ago, we, and, 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 like we would actually be able to physically see him and interact with him. And as we do, we would be interacting and talking with God in human flesh. 
And so this Advent, I would love for us, for you, to just reflect on the reality of who Jesus is. And the fact that he, he really lived. And he was God that walked on this earth. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene thousands of years ago, and he's born and he starts to do ministry, um, you would think that as soon as he revealed his true identity, the people of Israel, that they would embrace him and celebrate him as the arrival of this king, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father. You would think that they would just love it and celebrate him. But as you know, that wasn't the case. Instead of accepting him, many rejected him. They refused to believe he was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, uh, the prophets like Isaiah spoke about. And one of the reasons they rejected Jesus was because he didn't meet their expectations. You see, they were waiting for a king, a political leader, similar to Winston Churchill, who would lead the nation into a golden age of peace and prosperity. That is the kind of person they were waiting for, a military commander. So when Jesus arrived on the scene and declared that he was the promised Messiah, spoken of by the prophets, they thought that he was bonkers. They thought he was crazy. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. Because Jesus' way to victory and triumph was not by physical force and violence, but by love, humility, and service. And so they failed to realize that their greatest need was not a king who would provide for their physical needs, but a king who would provide for their spiritual needs. And not much has changed since the times of Jesus. To this day, People still reject Jesus as their greatest need and the hope for humanity. Many, many still believe he's, uh, refuse to believe that he is the great light who has appeared to bring the only hope a dark and distressed world needs. Like, we are living in times where people are gasping for hope. They are looking for hope. They are desperate for some sort of hope as they, um, as they live under this oppressive, um, devastating pandemic. It's hard out there. And if you are able to, if you interact with anyone, you can sense that they are looking to someone or something for some kind of hope. And so this Christmas, as more and more people are feeling hopeless, may we as a people who have hope be bold and loving enough to point people to Jesus, the only one able to provide them with a living and firm hope. But at this point, we have to ask a valid question here. 
if Jesus is the light of the world, and if Jesus, the light of the world, stepped into this dark world, how comes darkness still exists? Why are we still plagued by grief, viruses, sicknesses, pain, oppression, conflict? Why are we still dealing or living in a dark world if Jesus has already come back? If Jesus has already come? This may be why. The hope Jesus provides now doesn't mean life will suddenly be heavenly. In fact, hope is only hope because what we really want has not yet become a reality. But Jesus is the hope for the world because he's the only one that can bring to reality lasting joy, peace, and love, and, love and, and, you know, sorry, lasting joy, peace, and love the world longs for. And the reason why Jesus, the hope for humanity, can bring about all of these blessings, this is the reason why, is because he overcame death through his resurrection. And that is why the resurrection of Jesus is a vital piece of our Christianity. It's huge. Do you know how many people have tried to disprove the resurrection? You take away the resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ died three days later, he rose again. You remove that from Christianity, everything crumbles. We don't have hope. We become a people without hope. And so the reason why Jesus, the hope for humanity, can bring about all of these blessings is because he overcame death through his resurrection. Tim McKee of the Bible Project has this to say. What happened to Jesus in his resurrection is a foretaste of what God has planned for the whole universe. A hope that creation itself would be liberated from slavery and corruption when God's children are glorified. One major theme that is woven throughout Scripture, and it's clear in verses 3, 5, and 3 4, and 5, is the second advent, or better known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, and The Scriptures declare that the same Jesus who came to Bethlehem as a baby in a manger will come a second time as the King of Kings on this throne. All right, He has already come and dealt with the penalty and power of sin and he will come a second time to abolish the presence of sin forever. And when Jesus comes again, when Jesus returns, he will restore everything. Okay, Revelation 21 4 gives us an idea of the impact of what will happen when Jesus comes. It says, He will wipe away every tear. There shall be no more. Um, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And so this snapshot of what Jesus is going to do is what we're hoping for. And the only way we can attain that and, 
and see that is if we place our trust and our hope in Jesus now. If you're here and you're a Christian, you have a living hope. A hope that looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward to a future of lasting joy, peace and love with him. And so the question I want to ask is, is Jesus really your hope? Is he the one you're hoping in? And like I said earlier, most of us will answer, yes, of course. I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, of course, my hope is in Jesus. This is the question I have to ask myself, and this is the same question I'm asking you. Is this something you say? Because that's what you're supposed to say. Or do you truly believe? Do you truly believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the hope for humanity? And if you believe it, do you live in such a way that displays to the world and the people around you that Jesus is your hope? It's easy to say it, but it's a challenge to live it. And for many of us, our hope in Jesus has been challenged this year alone. Mine has, and I'm sure yours has as well. For some of you, your hope in Jesus was challenged during the elections, all right? You may have found yourself looking to a political party more than Jesus for a better America. And for some of you, your hope in Jesus has been challenged like this year because of um, the, the possible threat of unemployment. You may have found yourself looking to a job to a career rather than Jesus to fulfill you. Our hope is challenged when what we love and idolize are threatened. And so may we pray that we would look to Jesus that our hope may be in him and in him alone that we would not just say it but live in a way where the people around us would say that man their hope is in Jesus and then when they do may we take the opportunity may we be loving and bold To offer them the opportunity to place their hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> God.
Help us. Help us, Lord, to look to you and to place our hope in you and in you alone. God, this is, we can sing the songs, we can hear and read um, many sermons. Those things are helpful, but God, we're looking to your spirit to bring about all of what we've talked about. We live in a hopeless world, and by your grace, through what Jesus has done, we are people that are not without hope, but we are people that are with hope. And so may we May we cherish this and may we dwell deeply in who you are and as our hope is strengthened, may we have a desire, a burning desire to offer that same hope to a hopeless world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.